El Retro Magi would like to acknowledge that all the opinions and the views expressed on Into the Ether are that of the hosts and do not reflect upon our sponsors. Thank you and enjoy. Get in and take the ride, man. Coming at you from the heart of the desert and the city of sin. Smoke them if you have them as we take you on a trip into the ether. Hey, and welcome back, everybody. This is me, Hammer McSlapstick, introducing you to the forehead muscle with the city hustle, El Rocho. What's going on, my brother? Hey, what's going on, man? Episode 7. Episode 7, and it is beautiful March 25th, Monday night. Sorry about the delay, but we had a few things that we had to get sorted out. It's been pretty busy this week, man. Yeah, I mean, that's just the nature of the business, living the fast life of Las Vegas. You know what I'm saying? It's amazing. So, if you checked out some of the art that we had put out for this episode already, that you see that there was a light bulb. And the light bulb actually represents the ideas that me and the Roach Man have and that we're trying to produce, trying to bring to fruition, right? Yeah, man. I mean, like, this was one of one of our dreams was to get a podcast up, get a small following, hopefully make it into something bigger. But... What came with that? Came with the following. It came with hard work. It came with dedication, man. And it came with sacrifice. Sacrifice, man. Definitely most for both of us. For it, and it's crazy to think, you know, now that we're this far deep, you know, <laughs> we've been usually sitting down here. We all take a shot and we fucking get ready and we spit something. And we had something prepared for you the other day, and but it kind of got out of hand between me and that guy. So we kind of put it down, but we realized that there's other people that really want to hear us talk, man. Like the other day you said that someone told you that that we shouldn't quit this because they enjoy listening to this. So now it's no longer us doing this for just ourselves. It's not just our own therapeutic sessions. And what really drew me was... There's a new update to our podcast and RSS feed, and you have this thing called analytics. And the analytics themselves were saying that we had listeners from Taiwan, <laughs> and that just blew my mind. And I was just like, okay, if there's somebody that's literally on the other side of the world that's interested enough to pick up whatever device they have, seek us out personally, and then devote multiple hours out of their life to hear what we have to say on this side of the world, then this is something that we should definitely pursue. Exactly. Oh yeah, most definitely dude. Cause you have a dream and this is not your dream. I I want the listeners to understand that this is not your dream. Oh, this is just the beginning. This is the beginning of a enterprise that is going to envelope and just put a hand out to the world and like usher them into the next era of technology and life itself because you got to admit our culture is definitely in a shift at this point in time exactly uh everybody wants it now you know everybody wants it quick i want you to tell people seriously what it takes to put this show out because i know from my point of view i get to see how much hard work you actually get to put in but seriously i want people to understand like how much hard work it actually takes for you to go and put this whole episode out 
every single week to on time and, and well get there's a lot of post-production that a lot of people don't hear and i mean for every hour that you hear you obviously have probably an extra 20 or 30 minutes that is actually taken out <laughs> especially with el roche because this guy really loves the f-bomb <laughs> <laughs> so whenever you guys hear the f-bomb here and Imagine you think it's excessive <laughs> it's actually being sparingly used <laughs> so i mean that's one of my biggest problems and then of course you know you have the random hiccups of people accidentally deleting episodes and you know we won't talk you about know, there's other things that you run into as well as you know hard drives crashing as well so i mean it is what it is but if if you have a passion for it it's definitely worth it i have to say that my passion actually wavered because doing this type of thing requires a lot of sacrifice i came out to las vegas with one goal in mind and that was to become an architect you know i wanted to build right and one of the things that was afforded to me through my military service was the post 9-11 GI Bill. Shout out to Uncle Sam. Thank you very much. That thing is Jesus. But with that, it allows me to sit here and bullshit with you at least a couple hours out of the week and then go ahead and fix it up for the six hours of you saying fucking this and that or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? No, <laughs> I understand, man. And uh, so, like I said, we wanted to talk about sacrifice and... When we're on the ride uh, to go do our job today, you know, one of the realest things I've ever heard in my entire life, I heard today, and this comes from that guy. We we do talk about personal shit because I want you guys to understand that if we... We're human. And yeah. We all make mistakes. We have personalities, but we're human. And, uh, you know, what thing he got me earlier today was when he told his own son, you know, that he wants his son to be better than him to don't be like him or don't be like his mom be be better and i think that's the problem now with the generations that we've never told anybody that and so when i hear that it's coming from a father telling that to his son that's some deep shit man like so how did that conversation even come about for you to even tell your son to be better than you man well, you talk about sacrifice, and one of the things that I did early in my life was I realized that I've always had a calling to go into the military, and I realized that that would have a great impact on my family. Whether or not my family stayed together, I've seen it work out with a lot of people. However, not really to say anything bad about their mother, but <clears throat> it was just better that I was a paycheck at the point in time because when I was in the military, I was literally stationed on the other side of the world. In Italy, right? Yeah, so it wasn't like I could just sit there and drive to and fro to go see my children. And at the same time, the way that I was financially injured by the state of Florida, it didn't allow me to do all the extra things that I wanted to do with my children and actually come back to and fro. When it came down to it, I I didn't want my son to see that, you know, even though I was in the military, you know, because my son has always looked up to me, even though there was point in times where he didn't hear from me for months at a time, because I would be, you know, in Afghanistan or Iraq or somewhere else. He was at that age where he needed to be shielded from that. He didn't need to know the reality of what daddy was doing. Right. You know? I understand. 
So to me, I had, I ended up sacrificing a family for it. And I have a cordial relationship with my children. My son, he wants to follow in the footsteps of the military because he sees that as an accomplishment because his dad was a soldier, right? Right. You know, his, his dad was an airborne paratrooper. So he wants to, he thinks that's what it is. To be like that. That's, yeah, that's how you accomplish. And I tell him every time, it's be better. Be better than I was. And he's on don't, his way to. Don't be a grunt. He's on his way to get accepted to West Point, or that's what he wanted to do, right? Yeah, he, he's he's looking to get accepted either into Citadel or the Air Force Academy. He's been in the Air Force ROTC ever since, you know, he was a freshman. That's cool, man. And this past year, he's been going through military school pre-training. Oh, cool. So nice. he actually goes away and sleeps in a barrack situation. Oh, shit. So he's like major pain ready. type of shit? Yeah, exactly. Oh, fuck. That's cool. So he, he, I remember him asking me one time, he was like, what should I do? And I said, don't do what I did. Because... <laughs> right. Even though I was a fister, I, you know, I was technically field artillery. I, I was out there with the You're infantry. You're a bad motherfucker, dude. Well, I was out there with the infantry, and I, I was like, you don't want to be a grunt. You don't want to be an infantryman. You don't want to be a fister. You want, if you want to be anything, you want to be a pilot. You want to be an officer. Don't be what I was. You want to be something better. Right. And there's, I mean, and that's just something that I learned as a child and I think we kind of lose that you know because now we just try to settle for what what we can get now and the ambition's gone when you were growing up okay I want to know from your I know you don't like telling stories and shit so I won't do that but I, I want to know from you being your son's age that you're telling him that you wish he wants he'll be better at your point what did you consider being better at that point? You know what I'm saying? Like, what what would be the best of your mom and dad to beat them? You know well, what I'm saying? My And that was one of the biggest things with me. I had a really sore spot with, with the family, and I had a really bad departure from my hometown. So, oddly enough, I left around the age of 13 first time, and then... Again, I came back for a few months and then I left again. Cause Theo tracked you down, right? Yeah, yeah. Our, uh, my uncle Delfino, he was he was the one who actually set me on the right course. So it's kind of odd because my son and my daughter, I would, I'd like I said, I didn't want to bring them into my world because my world was a very a very adult world. Right. You know, the military's really no joke and especially the type in your job. of stuff that we were doing I mean we we're constantly deploying so it was kind of hard to really talk to my children because most of the things that we did you just don't talk about period right. um, and that's something that I learned from my uncle Jesse who was a Vietnam vet you know I didn't hear anything from this guy until the first time I came back from my deployment we sat down on his front porch in the winter smoked half a pack of cigarettes <laughs> with each other and, you know, some of the best advice I had ever got, mental advice that I got was from the salty old vet. And I, I love the man to this day for some of the, the advice that he had given me. But I, me growing up at the age of 16, I was already living the life of, you know, an adult. So when I was like 16 years old, I was already a head cook in 
a restaurant that was, it's called Village Inn. It's kind of like a Denny's type restaurant. Now, is that in Michigan or? No, that was in Florida. That was my uncle Delfino after he set me straight because I was going on a very bad path. My uncle Delfino was like an angel on my shoulders, came down, whooped my ass, set me straight, taught me how to flip an egg, taught me how to cook, showed me what the meaning of hard work was and the rewards that could come with it. Now, he was not uh, a scholar, our Uncle Delfino, Teofino, he wasn't a scholar, but this man had the ability of critical thinking beyond the level of any professor that I have met in my life. And I am on my fourth year of college, and not only to mention my prior life experience in the military. Right. This is the man who taught me how to use my critical thinking sp- skills. And not only that, he taught me what the meaning of work was. That was that's where when I was 16, luckily my son didn't have to go through that. He, he was able to be a child. And he's 17 now. He's about to be 18. And right now is the time where he's starting to become a young man. So he's in that school He's learning the ways to be an adult, how to properly dress, how to stay organized. And <laughs> keep shit together. Yeah, pretty much keep stuff together. And the only thing that really worries me is, <clears throat> I get it, he's getting a lot of discipline, right? Right. And he's probably getting organizational skills and leadership skills, which is very important for a young man and any young woman to learn. Especially in that age group. You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of that age group is follow 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 but they want to lead you know what i'm saying them and i like i said to anybody that's underage that listen to this i want you to understand we both understand that you want to lead, lead lead but dude i'm telling you out of your age group that if you think that you're a leader you're most likely not and i'm not saying it because you're not ready it's just there's a lot of people that you need to fucking listen to to get one to that thing point. that i learned in the military about myself I, and it's it's it sounds very narcissistic to say, but me being I I found out real quick that I was an alpha, and it wasn't the fact that I was trying to lead anybody, you know, but I felt like I was more in competition with everybody, so I would push myself the hardest as hard as I could, and then what I ended up noticing is that people were following behind me, and it wasn't nothing like ego maniacal you know what i'm saying no you just said it was it was like yeah my my thing was always i care about what happens to you but at this point in time i need to get to there as fast and as hard as i can right and then i would get up there and fast as hard as i can and the people would see that rush and they'd see that that gust that gusto and they would be like i gotta be like him and they would follow behind me i remember when i was in fort benning I was going up the the stairway to heaven and I thought I was the bee's knees. I thought I was the shit because you know what I did was I took my, my M16 A4 and I didn't want to carry it. So <laughs> <laughs> me being the shamrai that I am. What did you do? Break it down? No, I didn't break it down. I took a uh, piece of 550 cord for paracord. For those that you don't know, it's like a long shoestring. And I wrapped it around my rifle and I tied it to myself. Oh shit! So I didn't have I could let my arms hang oh, and I didn't so have to hold. So you made your own fucking yeah, my own I got little you. sling because yeah. they don't let you sling them there. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's smart. Oh, yeah. So here's the funny thing about it: we're going up the stairway to heaven now. If you don't know what the stairway to heaven is, it's one of those hills 
that's like about four miles long. Seems longer, but it's at such an incline that you can stick your hand out and you'd be touching the ground in front of you. Grim Reaper, we got one of them. You know? Yeah, you, you, I know you guys have one in Paris Island somewhere. Uh, over in uh, Pendleton. Our Pendleton, Pendleton yeah. Yep. I, either way. So I'm, I'm going up this hill and I get this this burst of energy in me and I, you know, I feel this inspiration in me. That and I think it's, yeah, that, well, with the hula. The hula. The hula. Gay ass shit. Ah, well, anyways. <laughs> so I start running up this hill and I yell out, send me in, Sergeant. I got this. And my drill sergeant said, God damn, you inspire me. And just as he said that, I trip. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now the funny thing is, is I got this rifle attached to me. Oh, so you, you didn't realize that it I could Well, no, I couldn't brace myself because this thing's tied down in front of me and I have all this equipment on me. <laughs> so I ended up hitting face first on the ground and knocking myself out. Oh, shit. But I was still conscious. So I got up and he's like, are you all right, private? I said, yeah, I'm good, Drill Sergeant. I took three steps and I ended up falling back over. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I was out cold. They had the FLA out there. They picked me up. They gave me some smelling salts. Yeah. Afterwards. <laughs> you didn't get no silver bullet, though, huh? No, I, you know what, dude? And I'm not saying this is too my horn. I'm not, I'm not even making this up. I actually was the first one to the front of the line. Oh, shit. Hell yeah. After they gave me the smelling salts, they, they were like, are you all right? I grabbed my rifle. I put it back on. I was just like, I, I got this. By the time I had come to, it was just at the back of the brigade line. Now, this is for the airborne, right? No, this this was just regular basic training. Oh, okay. Because you guys do a crucible, which right. is like a 40 kilometer. 40 hour. 40 hours. hours. Yeah, it's okay. 40 hours. It's like 20 miles or 40 miles, some shit like that. It's mm -hmm. crazy. Mike. See, and what we do is we go out to an FTX and it's literally three days. And as we're doing it, we're doing exercises inwards. And then our last rook march is like 12 miles. But it's not like something that you just do all in one day. You, you, you actually get out there like Thursday night around midnight. Right. Then you do a patrol. You do all your little exercises that you might have learned. Then you fucking find a way to dig a fight in position they torch you throughout the night yeah. i had a, i had a first sergeant that was going around and he was throwing cs gas in our fighting positions oh, shit. my my uh my battle buddy sitting right next to me he didn't have his mask oh and shit. i was on so and i was on guard so the way our fighting positions they're like a y yeah. so that if i need to warn him i can kick his leg or if he needed to warn me he can kick my leg right. i'm kicking this guy but this dude's sleeping like a log <laughs> so the first, yeah the first sergeant is just walking around tossing in these cs grenades if you don't know what cs is it's a very yes. strong pepper like <sighs> gas it's, fucking horrible. it's it's ridiculous and it takes the air from you will my Battle buddy just starts screaming out loud. He's like, eh, eh, I'm having a heart attack. Eh, <laughs> no, I'm having a heart attack. <laughs> so I jump over, I grab his mask, I hit him, <laughs> throw it on him. I already got mine already sealed and locked. Right. So we do things like that as we're going all the way up to your very last rug march. So as you're walking up to that ruck march, you're walking like miles and miles. You're doing your patrols. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous, man. But you know what? When you're walking, into that very last rook march they bring you to a ceremony where mm -hmm. they have a drill sergeant sitting up front he's got an anvil 
and he's got a forge and he's got a sword and he's sitting there and he's striking this red hot sword and every time he strikes it he's given off one of the ethos or one of the 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 qualities that they instilled in you as a soldier and after he's saying everyone he's hitting this thing and he goes and he quenches the sword and he's like you are now a perfectly forged weapon and they come and they pin you uh your u.s army fucking badges on you and it's like when you guys get your ega dude, yeah. dude you watch like yeah you see drill sergeants i remember here's the funny thing my 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 senior drill sergeant gotta give a shout out to him drill sergeant prince this dude he was he was oh man he was a beast he, he was an artilleryman he was missing like seven of his fingers. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah, those guys are beasts. So he's sitting there and this guy has like been the meanest, hardest, most damn you caballero, let me tell you this right now. You know what I'm saying? They called him the <laughs> Prince of Peace. You know, this dude was just scary. You know this guy's seen war. He's pinning my badges on me and he's got tears rolling out of his eyes. He's like, I know I just forged a fucking weapon boot camp that's the type of thing you give up family and you sacrifice everything and all that time and people think that you're going through hell and yeah you are right but you build a brotherhood and a family and a sis you know you got it's it's unexplainable it's a different life it is and a lot of people don't drink they'll say don't drink the kool-aid or whatever but if you can if you can flourish in that environment man it's so it's so badass because it has afforded me a lot of opportunities but the thing is you know it it offered a lot of opportunities but you had to sacrifice a lot for those opportunities because you talk about the 9-11 bill but and it is dope you know what i'm saying i'm shout out for that but the thing is is that what you sacrificed to get that 9-11 bill you sacrifice being away from your family you sacrifice being from your friends dude you could have took a fucking bullet you know what i'm saying and then oh, it could have been game over did and i did <laughs> and you survived fucking 50 cent right here <laughs> so you know but so i want to go back into what was your biggest uh what would you consider a biggest sacrifice for someone because we want to talk to the youth, you know what I'm saying? So if you were to say somebody has to sacrifice something, because what I feel like if you're going to sacrifice something, you should be able to sacrifice friends for a moment. Because if your friends aren't going to get you anywhere or do anything for you, I think they... Well, you just got to purge yourself of like anybody who has kind of like a negative impact, impact in your, of life. your life. Exactly. And if they... I mean, I get it because we have a large family, right? Oh, it's huge. And I love all of them. You know, I would probably go to bat and I would kill for any 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 of them. Not just because I'm a sadistic asshole who just gets joy out of doing bad things. But for my family in general, you know, we might not get along, but I will crack a motherfucker's head out for you because one, you're my family. Two, I like cracking motherfuckers heads. <laughs> but... At the same time, if you're not going to help me at this point in time, you're just going to try to drag me down, give me a negative influence, then I ain't got time for you right now. But when I get everything straight and all my ducks in a row, bro, me and you, we're going to go hunting. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. So growing up, you know, like you said, we have a huge family, you know, and 
a thousand plus above ground thank you grandma and grandpa for real i think the person that showed me sacrifice what, what really sacrifice was the most was my father my dad dude i remember growing up and you living next door to me you know and not even realize that you got your own gig over there you know <laughs> i wish i knew knew better so fucking well you're 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 six years younger you weren't really into that kind of stuff at the time yeah, <laughs> yeah. so you know i see my dad i I want you guys to know my dad is a bad motherfucker, dude. Like my dad is my hero. He's a he's a sailor, you know. He's he's been working for the state for 16 years. Like he's done on end jobs. He worked for the bank. Growing he's up, he's a working man. He's he's a family man and a working man. And it's funny because I remember telling you about like when you were younger. Yeah. About like when we were going to drop you guys off at the Navy Yard down in Louisiana or something yeah, like New that. New Orleans. Yeah. Somewhere yeah. around that area. Yeah, and so, like, you know, I never had a real... I appreciated my father. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to say, like, I wasn't grateful. But I didn't appreciate my dad until I became a dad. And I realized what my dad sacrificed for, you know, not just for me, but for my brothers and my mom. My dad would literally work at the bank all day long and then he would you know he would go work at the sugar factory he would work at the sugar factory all night and then sleep maybe an hour or two and then go back to the bank and he did it over and over again and then he worked at lighthouse and then he worked at the state and all this you know these jobs. that sugar factory is like the bane of caro i know it brings a lot of sh- a, a lot of jobs but it just seems like that's where everybody runs to. Yeah. And you know, the thing is, I feel bad. I feel bad for our family that work there. I, I feel happy that they have the opportunity to work there because it feeds their families. You know what I'm saying? I will never shit on anybody or whatever they do to feed their family. But it feels like they trapped my family there. They didn't. There's my grandma. She got like a watch. I think. <laughs> I don't even know if she got a watch. Like. 50 or 40 fucking plus years in that place. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. I remember when I was a kid, I think it was like seven or eight. My mom and your grandma, they they were both chemists. Yeah, my mom, there. my grandma yeah. was working in the lab. So I remember my mom took me in there for one of her midnight shifts. And I got a whole tour. I got to walk inside the big silo. Yep. Um, they had a friend. His name was Albert. I used to love Albert, that old. Yep. Yeah. I, I, lo- I wonder what ever happened to that guy. I love that man so much. He worked at Walmart. He worked at Walmart and yeah. the sugar factory too. Yeah. Well, I remember I, I went in there. I checked out the lab. I sat there. We did the whole tour. And I remember they ended up having some kind of dispute with not being able to work full time. Yeah. And it's crazy because afterwards I realized that if you didn't have a job in the factory at in Cairo, then you had to literally leave. Or you're the flipping whole burgers, dog. Yeah. Flipping burgers like a motherfucker. And you and our and our your grandmother and my mother, they they weren't about to flip burgers. <laughs> Hell no. They were, they fucking came for the fields, dog. Yeah. And they knew what actual work was and they knew what they were worth. So and that's where we get a lot of our work ethic from. I remember having my uh my brother Larry, he took me in. That guy is been my father since i was about 17 
and he was ex-army and every you know whenever i can i you know give him a call you know i send him father's day cards when i can and he taught me that you know no matter what as long as you can put in a good day's work you can support your family some way somehow even if you have to sacrifice what you want because let's admit it we all love our our weed yeah but if we have to sacrifice that to make you know ends meet just so my son and my daughter can have something to eat then that's what you do and that's that's it's a great thing what we fall short of right now is that like i said our younger people just make do and then they're done they don't want to give in that extra effort they don't want to look if you're younger don't just stop at what your high school grades are always be thinking two three years ahead always if you don't know how to balance a checkbook they're not going to teach you that in high school they're not going to teach you how to you you know know, what i did have a dope class i did have a i had a dope class if in uh kingston called life skills math dude that was the first class i ever heard that they fucking I've never learned how to balance a checkbook until then. When we moved to Kingston, that was the first time. And uh, it would taught us how to balance a checkbook, um, do file, do our taxes, and like pick out like business wear and stuff like that. So I thought that was pretty dope. But I've been to a couple, like I've been to Carol and they don't teach you that shit. They got rid of home ec. For the people that thought home ec was a joke, I hope you understand home ec was dope. Like, you got to bake things. You got to learn how to do shit. I remember making uh, no-bake cookies and making uh, (laughs) the teacher sick. I put too much cocoa in it on accident. We made marijuana cookies. We made made marijuana cookies. That's messed uh, up. Dude, the thing was is that we had snuck the bag and we were about to get caught. That was the thing. That was the reason why we made the marijuana because uh, someone had snitched on us and we couldn't keep it in our lockers. So we had to throw in the brownies. We ended up making marijuana brownies. (laughs) Win-win. Fuck it. But, uh, you know, like I said, I wish I could be half my father. I I really wish I could be half the man that he is because that dude, I'm telling you, for the people that listen, I hope you understand he is the pinnacle of what a man really is. For it not only is from his family, but his friends, his co-workers, everything in between. I respect that man horribly. And dad, if you if you are listening to this, dude, I hope you understand. I really do look up to you, man, every single day. And because I carry your name, you know, I carry who you are. So I want to be who you are. You know, I never appreciated what hard work was, dude. When I worked in that factory for a month, <laughs> that was a joke. I wanted to fucking just scream. But dude, all of our family works in there. How can they do that? And I understand they do it for their family, and but that's a generational thing. Like you, you know, we talked in previous episodes where they didn't, they didn't have the opportunities that we have. They got stuck with them, and they made they they made happy with them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and that's why we say I don't down on the older generation for what they got stuck with. I mean, it was a bad hand to begin with. And they ran with it. They did the best that they could do with it. Like you said, your your father was working a lot of jobs, and he was sacrificing a lot of time from his children and his family. But he was he made sure that you guys were fed. Well, most and that's and that's just the older generation that we had. That's what they did. They made sure no matter what, even if it it was sacrificing their time, that you were fed no matter what. And 
what ended up happening was there was a big divide and like like you said you love your dad and you do respect him and everything but you don't have the closeness to him that you would have if you actually got to spend more time with him i remember in previous episodes you said that when you guys actually got to talk to each other one-on-one and had that father and son time it was normally to and fro from like wrestling practice or dropping you off at school but you never really never had a group close yeah Yeah. you never just like hey little freddie me and big freddie are gonna go have you know it wasn't like that because you had younger brothers and they had to go out too as well so you didn't get this one-on-one time exactly because any of the extra time that he had he had to make sure that you guys were fed and the rest man i i you know for real growing up i don't even think my dad ever slept he was like a fucking vampire for real i don't know how he did it well you know after being in the military for so long you become like the four-hour monster you know it's just crazy anything over four hours you gotta wake up and you're just like i'm ready to go i do it to this day (laughs) and you know now we're gonna go through this is that you know my dad sacrificed fucking time from us but we lived in the same house, you know, household. Me and you, we have a common demon. You know, we both don't get to see our children. And it's not the point that we don't want to. It's the point that there's some fucking obstacle that's in that, you know, in the way. People don't see that. I want, I want people to understand that this isn't going to be a bashing part. This is going to be a informational part. So what he's talking about is in our next segment, we're going to go ahead and cover some pretty deep stuff that me and him both have gone through and other stories that other people have gone through. And that's father's rights and also mother's rights and how they coincide with each other and how they work against each other. Right? Right. We're going to go ahead and cover that in our second segment. And... Right now, what we really want to do is give a big, big, big shout out, big <laughs> shout out to my little brother, my little brother, congrats, buddy, Cassius and Amber, congratulations on your guys' engagement. And what he's talking about is his brother, you know, sometimes he can't contain his excitement, so it's hard to articulate. <laughs> yeah, my little brother Cassius, man, uh, congratulations, I'm proud for you guys, man, you guys are going to be an awesome family. My only tip, man, I want you to listen to me closely because my shit didn't work. So I want you to understand family means the most family and love is everything. No cocaine and strippers, <laughs> no cocaine and strippers, but come out to Vegas to see us, man. Come out to Vegas. But seriously, bro. Good luck. Congratulations. And we wish you both the best. Yeah. Congratulations, Cassius, man. That's awesome, man. We always applaud love because there's so little of it in this world today. And we always like to hear when it actually works out. Along with that, we're going to roll into our inspiration of the week. Big shout out to the dispensary located on South Decatur in Las Vegas. We are really feeling your new point system and we really like it. For anybody who's not in the know, you spend a dollar, you get a dollar. So on their new point system, whatever you spend, you're going to go ahead and get some of that back just later on. So we rolled in and we didn't even know what the heck was going on, but we go ahead and we we find out this new point system and my boy Roach, yeah man, he loves the dispensary. So he is always in there and he went ahead and he cashed in his points. And he really came out with a real good deal. Ended up getting $100 in uh, free stuff. So yeah. I couldn't beat that. Yeah, I mean, how could you? 
So what we ended up taking away from that is this Lucky Jack Desert Unicorn pack, and it's five, 21%. 21% THC, and it's a little pack. It comes in a little tube, has Lucky Jack with his fedora on the front, and it's five half gram joints. And trust me, you say it's just a half a gram joint. That might be a little, trust me, gets all you need. Between, it ain't no joke. Yeah, I mean, it, it gets the job done. And we definitely appreciate these kind of point systems. And we definitely appreciate the dispensary. South Decatur and in North Vegas. With that said, we're going to go ahead and roll into this intermission. Y'all go ahead, smoke them if you got them. listen to now was bits and pieces from Sway in the Morning's podcast and it was a rapper named Don Tripp and a lot of what he expressed in this track was what both me and El Rocho face as fathers in the new millennium. Every single day man. And it, it strikes a chord with a lot of people. And we've actually even been asked by people on our comment list, hey, you guys want to do a episode on father's rights? And this is something that we have actually had in the works for a while because we wanted to make sure that when we touch on the subject, that not only are we going to speak from emotion, but we're also going to speak from a logical point of view. Because when we speak about father's rights, we're also speaking about mother's rights. Exactly. And... It's a two-way street, no matter which way you look at it. It took two people to tango, right? Exactly. So both parents should have equal say. But it we doesn't find seem our, that way, bro. Yeah, and that's exactly what we're getting into is this day and age, like I come from a state of Florida, which is known as a mommy state. And basically what that means is the mother can pretty much do whatever she wants and puts you through hell. Or has you pay an ungodly amount of child support, they'll tell you that's fine because we're not here to support or help you. We're here to help and support the mother. Okay, so you were living down in Florida and you were saying you were making what, like $24 an hour? You know, just because you were making, you had your own business at the time. You know what I'm saying? You were making good money. So out of the $24 an hour, how much do you think that you were giving it to the mom? Just a rough estimate out of that 24 hour like 24 dollars how much do you think you were giving them up i would even go deeper i would go all the way back to when i actually joined the military i remember right before i joined the military i had to go in for what they call a remediation because my children were already three years old so when i went in there 
the judge literally told me and and I'm not paraphrasing he said it doesn't matter what you want we're not here for you we're here for the support of the custodial parent and I was trying to tell him that I was going into the military so he found out what the basic pay for a private in the military was which at that time was around like 12 to 1300 dollars he no, made it every two weeks, not every two weeks, but that's 13 no, that's hours a month. separated. That's a month. You Plus get, Uncle Sam's getting his share. Yeah. And that's the big thing is when they calculate these things, they go by your gross income, which means that they calculate this before Uncle Sam has taken his piece or Social Security or Medicare or anything like that has been gone. So he looks at me and he tells me you can afford this amount of, of money. And I looked at it and... It was literally just $100 less of what I got paid. So that meant that I had no extra money whatsoever to do anything. And I, I found it kind of weird and I started to put two, two together. The way that they end up screwing you as the non-custodial parent. Because it does happen to some mothers. You know, most of the time the court sides with the mother over the father just because... The social norm is that the mother is the the nurturer, but they don't take into account that us as the father being the provider also still need time with that child because we're missing that a lot. Modern times, you see that the father is out of the situation altogether. It's ridiculous because they put these constraints on you financially. Now I'm spending all my money just to pay child support. Now I don't have money to travel to see my children. I don't have money to take my children out to Chuck E. Cheese or to a movie when they come. You know, I have to feed them bologna and ramen noodles. And I look like a very poor role model to my children. Right. But you would look shitty if you broke it down to them and was like, hey, you want to know the real reason why we can't go out to eat while you're with me is because I'm giving the money to your mom. And that's something that, you, that makes always you sound try shitty. To, yeah, you try to steer away from bad mouthing the other parent. And that might not always be a two-way street, which is very saddening because that is just the reality of things. You could have the most perfect breakup and just agree that you are, you're not the person for me. And somewhere down the line, there's going to be some sort of resentment. And that resentment's going to manifest its way in a negative light towards the children. Not towards them, but they're going to see it. You know what I mean? I, I, I mean, if I remember when I was younger as a child, my mother never really badmouthed my father, my absentee father, who I call the sperm donor. And he has reached out to me before. But at that point in time, I had already succeeded in life to the point where I was like, you're late. So you grew up in what the, the social norm would be called a broken home. Yes. Yeah. Okay, because like I didn't, you know, we had an incident, you know, things that went, were rocky. But my mom and dad have always been together. Like they've always been close. It's and a true always... romance story. They've been together as long as I've, you know, have been cognizant of memory because I tell you stories about like when you were a child. <laughs> and I don't even know it. Yeah, yeah because it, you're like six years younger than me. So I remember a lot of the things like I remember when you were born and I remember you know, going down to the South and actually spending a lot of time with your father because your father's actually my first cousin. He was one of the guys that I remember growing up that was one of our 
military members because we have a huge family as we've mentioned before and we have a huge military following and we have and, and it spans across all branches right your father is probably in the navy yeah he was he was the only one that was in the navy yeah but i remember when i was like five years old before you were you were born i remember watching him wash his car and i remember him being so meticulous about it he was like even like i shit you not he was getting to the point where he was spit shining it <laughs> and i asked him and i was just like why are you doing it that way that seems like it would take so much time and he looked at me and he told me he was like because i know if i do it this way every single spot is clean and this was when i was really young i mean i was a jet you know what i'm saying knee high to a grasshopper right (laughs) you know i didn't really think that deep of things but i realized that growing up going into the military myself those little fine minute details that your dad actually mentioned to me you know decades before helped me along my way right you know what i mean because you're my second cousin. I have, a, I mean, I remember your dad from <laughs> from when I was three years old. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's cool. It's cool that I can think of things like that. I, I like to relay stuff that to you because, like you said, you don't get to see a lot of things. You know, there was a lot of things before you were here that made the man that you see today. Right. And I and luckily for me, I got to see him, and I'm I'm now I'm able to give him to me, and that that's cool to hear. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And because, like I said, you know. I come from a home that was together and, but the Abhyatha was always, you know, to me, dude, you know, she defined what a single mom was because what I seen, you know what I'm saying? I know that she was with uh, Bill at, at the time, but what I seen, she always held shit down. She never complained. She never bitched. She never moaned. Yeah. My mother was a single mom and she, she worked at the sugar factory. Like we mentioned earlier, she actually fell into that you know, rat race. Luckily she did meet my stepfather who is probably one of the most amazing men that I've ever met yeah, in my great life. Man. I mean he took he took me on at the age of thirteen when I was just a mess. He, I mean, but he was he's so funny. You know, he's got that underlying <laughs> humor that he'll say something it's very it takes dry. A, yeah, so yeah. it'll take a day or two and you'll be like, What the fuck did he just say? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's a good man. Yeah, and he, he taught me a lot because you know when we talk about sacrifice of today he was man enough to step up and teach me some things that i carry with me today today we had to go look at a few different spots for our boss who owns a large chain of salons body spa if you need anything done esthetician wise nails facials oh, hair everything. you name it they got it go down there Las the Vegas. Las Vegas area coming out, it's coming near you. Promise. Trust me, we are going to start an empire that's going to go across the land. And we were there looking at some stuff that needed to be done. And I reached back to what this man who decided to take me on as a 13 year old Rufian, <laughs> I took the lessons that he had taught me and I used them today because I had learned stuff from him. And what it come down to was I'm here and I'm working and I'm finally figuring out what, I, what the sacrifice that I made just to get here to do what I have to do and make our dreams come to fruition. So now we're, we're sitting here doing a podcast, you know, That's and wild. I'm using the skills that I learned from this man to sit here and do this podcast because 
if it wasn't for those skills, I wouldn't be able to do the job that I did today. And I wouldn't have this free time. I would probably be working at in and out or a Walmart <laughs> or somewhere like that. You yeah. know, so would you consider him like a strong male influence? Yeah. And this is one of the things that we're missing today because it comes down to how you, no matter what, even, like I said, even if you have a good breakup, you're going to have to make a sacrifice because you have to support this child. And sometimes you can't just support the child where you're at. I mean, we come from places where it's extremely either a poor economic situation or extremely expensive. Me being in Florida, when I first got back to Florida from the military, I was making $24 an hour. It took me six months to get an apartment. I was living out of my Volkswagen Jetta for six months. I was homeless for six months, going back to my hometown, making $24 an hour. Now, see, <clears throat> that tells you that you weren't just trying to go do the average job of going to make a taco or making a burger, going to greet somebody at Walmart. Well, I wasn't able to because when you take what you make in the military, because when you're in the military, you have a lot of stuff that's taken care of, right? Right. You have your health care taken care of. You have a lot of your housing taken care of throughout BAH. So when your you BAH, get out, your food I mean, technically what it comes down to when you're in the military, you're making anywhere between 30 to like $50 an hour. Yeah. That's unsustainable when you get on the outside world and they still expect you to pay that amount in child support. So if I'm making six G's in a month and I'm paying $1,300 in child support, when I get out of the military and I'm, and I'm making $24 an hour, that's not that 40, 30 to $50 an hour. Or so I'm not going to be able to swing it as well. And then you talk about what kind of job do you get after the military? A lot of people have a hard time transitioning. And we see that with the 22 a day. Thankfully, it's gone down. But we see that's one of the biggest things with these veterans when they commit suicide and stuff like that, they get out. You just aren't that stable as you were when you were in the military because a lot of the payment that you get there, you don't get on the outside world. And they don't prepare you for that as a civilian. So make it $24 an hour. People would say that's a lot of money in Southwest Florida. That's not a lot of money. That is like working at Burger King. It's exactly. So I, myself, what I ended up doing was trying to find a way to make more money. I ended up going into business for myself. Why make money for other people when I can make it for myself? Right. However, then you got uncle Sam reaching in your pocket, taking a little bit more than it normally has. Thankfully our, our tax system has changed over the past couple of years. So I didn't pay as much this last quarter as I did before, but what it came down to was no matter how much I made, I ended up giving it away and not bettering my station. You know, I have some crazy statistics that I want to just throw at you and I want for people to hear because these aren't just fake numbers. This shit isn't just, just, you know, pulled from somewhere. Like this is statistically everywhere. It's almost an epidemic. Let's hear what you got for us. 17.4% of custodial parents are fathers. That means 82, 82.6% are mothers. Men rep represent 97% of alimony payers. Men represent 
87.1% of child support payers, 84.7% pay at least some form of child support at a medium amount of 42.50. So that's contradicting the popular image of deadbeat dad. The vast majority of non-support paying fathers are usually the most poorly educated men with very low or no income, proving once again that most dads who cannot pay child support are not unwilling to pay. They're simply unable to pay. Now, locking up dads too poor to pay. 24 million children in America, one out of three, live in a biological father absent home. 35% of children whose parents are no longer living together have no contact with their non-custodial parent, usually the father. Two-thirds of mothers think dads are replaceable either by mom or other men. 63% of men who live with their children say they have helped their children with homework at least several times a week. 54% say they took their child to formal activities several times a week or more. Only 10% of fathers who live apart from their children are able to help with their homework, and only 11 are able to take a child to or from activities. 93% and 91% of moms and dads, respectively, agree that a father absent crisis exists. So that's telling you that now moms are agreeing that without a father present or a male figure present, that there's something wrong. Now, we both agree that we both have been fucked by the courthouse respectively by our regions of where we've been located. Yeah, that's definitely true. Now, would you say that the mothers that go for custody know that the father has one hand tied behind their back? It's all a racket. And they're able to do things. And when they realize they're able to manipulate the system to their favor and they're able to get stuff out of it and barely pay a penalty themselves other than, I mean, yeah, when you say the only penalty they have is, okay, now they got to raise a child alone or whatever or not, they always have the the ability to find a stepfather or whatever. Like one of the statistics said, they feel that the father is replaceable by either the mother or other a, another man. Okay, that that's a lot different for men. I mean, when it comes out to the dating pool, there's not a lot of women that will jump into a relationship with a man who is separated from his children. That's just a common fact because when women look at somebody like that, they automatically deem them as being a deadbeat. Yeah. You know? And that's not necessarily the case. When I hear all those statistics, what I actually think of it when I say that it's a racket, I think of it like this. Speaking also anecdotally from my own situation and the way that I see it in my perspective is there is a faction within the State Department, whether it's bureaucratic, whether it's political parties, each way, one way or the other, the way that it is set up is to benefit the custodial parent. Most of the time, if you hear of the man being the custodial parent, you will hear that the man is much like your father spends most of his time working and has a significant other who will take care of the children. Right. You know, the man will be working full time and very rarely do they apply for welfare or child support. Correct. Now women, on the other hand, not all women, like I said, my mom was a very strong woman and she worked her fingers to the bone 
and she refused any type of entitlements by the government or anybody else. She just worked her ass off and I suffered from that, but she did what she had to do. Now, what, what I'm starting to see, especially when you go through those statistics is that you have this faction that's saying that, okay, what we need to do is keep on giving these people, i.e. the custodial parent, mostly being from your statistics, the mothers, we need to keep fueling them with goodies and whatever and whatnot. Section 8, welfare, Medicaid. All that stuff that, that we pay from our taxpayers' funds. And what we do is we're also going to make the father pay into this child support system. And it's going to be an exuberant amount to where he ain't going to be able to spend time with his kids. Not only that, it's going to be so detrimental to his own financial situation. Remember, talking about them being more lower educated, younger men most of the time. And the reason is, is because, like I said, it takes two people to tango. Most of the time, young men get caught up into this whole racket to begin with is when they're young, they're dumb, they're full of cum. And they just end up sleeping with the wrong person. And now that person can go ahead and persecute him for the rest of his life, 18 years and beyond. I'm not saying that is a bad thing because now he has gained a child and maybe he can't get into that child's life. But if he can't, then it's it's a horrible you know conundrum for him because now he's paying for her lifestyle to do whatever she wants and she's getting this government aid. You know what I'm saying? And now if he tries to better his station and tries to get a remediation or anything of that sort, then there's states like that will penalize her for from all the benefits that she gets. Right. So if say wife A or baby mother A tries to get the father's child support reduced in pay. Now, the state's going to look at her and say, if you do anything of that sort, then we're going to stop giving you the $800 in grocery money and the $400 in extra pay and the medical care and all that. It's all going to be reduced. So now that penalizes her. And who's going to say, okay, I'm going to give up all that free shit just to help this dude that I don't even really like anymore? Seeing as he doesn't see his kids anyways because he's always broke and he can't come here anyways. Why am I going to, what, what benefit does it benefit the, the woman or the custodial parent? And, you know, it, and it ends up screwing us because we can't see our children. We can't teach our children. Like me as a man, I want, there's things that I want to teach my son to be a gentleman in certain ways, but there's some things that you just can't do. I bought my son his bike, but I was in Afghanistan and she was with another man. So another man taught my son how to ride a bike. That's something that I'll never get back. And that hurts me as a father and I'll never get that back. But that doesn't matter to them. You know, I still got Christmas gifts in my parents' basement from two years, man. Two years. Can you believe that shit? Two years. I can believe that because I've, I've held on to stuff. So I have letters to my son that I've written 10 years, 15 years ago that I still haven't given them because they have returned to sender on them. You know what pisses me off about the child support system? And I want mothers to clearly understand this. I do not disagree with child support. What I disagree with... Support your child as much as you can. Is you getting the check and, oh, I got new nails... 
I got new hair. I got new car. I got new phone. Oh, there's dude, definitely those types out there. Old dude that's getting milk for fucking half his paycheck is struggling that can barely live underneath their bridge, but you're living good. There's no check system. No check system. There's no, hey, I want to see what your light bill is. I want to see what your gas bill is, your rent and everything else. And I'm going to adjust it to that every single month. No, what they do is they take one big fucking month, you know, money, amount of money. And then they're well, like, it's, Here, it's, it's, it's it. an automatic, like one third of your check. But and no, that's before they don't, it's gross. They and don't tell them, Hey, you need to tell us what you use this fucking money on. No, old girls fucking using our new rims. While old boys trying to make it a fucking sandwich and barely, barely make it to work, risking jail, risking his freedom. You because see, and, and that's one of the things that always got to me. Like in the state of Florida, they there's a certain amount over, then they suspend your license. And now you've made this person illegal to drive to and fro from work. So how are they going to get paid? And if they can't get paid and go to and fro from work, how are they going to pay you child support? Locked up. It just doesn't make sense. Now, there's a lot of states that do that. I know the state of Georgia suspends your passport. You see, that's more of a feasible thing because what that's saying is like you can't leave the country until you pay off this certain amount. But to tell somebody you can't drive at all. So even if you had a job that would pay off this amount of money, if you get caught driving to or from that job, you're going to go to jail. Right. And now you're not going to make no money. So now you can't even pay to get out of jail. And you end up in this whole court system where now all of a sudden you have this record of being delinquent in your child support. And so now if you come up short on your child support at any point in time, you, you're yeah, automatically your in the shoulder. System. Yeah. You're, you're looking over your shoulder and it's funny because we talk about father's rights and stuff like that. And what it all boils down to is that you decided that you don't want to be with the person. You're not saying that you don't want the child or the children. You're saying you don't want to be with that person. And just because you're saying that you're going to be penalized for the rest of your life, you're going to be labeled a criminal or a deadbeat in some way, shape or form. Now you can go ahead and fight for it if you have the money. But what ends up happening is that the state's going to support whoever they find is going to be more easily to manipulate. And nine times out of 10, it's going to be the more emotional person in the whole fight. And you know, what's fucked up is that when I went to get joint custody with my children, um, the, they told me that I needed to get my license. I need to get a job and I need to get my own place. You know what? I did all three. And joint custody is bullshit. It is. It's fucked up because... You should never have to have somebody tell you... When you can see your child. Exactly. You know... Two grown people should be civilized enough to work out a schedule. You get made to look like a fucking asshole if you go to an event without someone being told, you know, if the mother didn't tell you, or you look like a fucking asshole. If you go to the teacher and Hey, I want to know how my children are doing. Oh, because you didn't go through the mom. Even though if we have joint custody, you know, I want people to understand that I respect my, 
the children's mothers that I had my kids with. Like I, I respect them wholeheartedly. I appreciate everything that they do. So I don't want people thinking that this is a fucking witch hunt. And I don't people. Yeah, we're not shitting on yeah. our baby's mamas. And I don't want people running back and be like, oh, they're talking shit. No, I'm just stating facts. Like maybe in the beginning, I wasn't the best person in the world, but I was transitioning through a lot of shit. So people can understand that I was young. I was you were going a through caterpillar shit. going into your cocoon. Now For you're real. a butterfly. And now I'm doing a lot better, man. Yeah. You know, now I'm over fucking waves where people hear what I have to say and actually appreciate it because I want people to understand. It's that a maturing people, process. We were talking about that the other day. Like when does when does a person stop maturing? Yeah. When, Usually around the age of thirty, and you know they they start to realize you know maybe my passion antigens were just exactly that shenanigans. Still feel like a kid. Like when you were up to somebody older, do you still feel like that kid phase? Oh yeah. Constantly. Like when does that go away? It doesn't. I've always wondered about that. It doesn't because there's always a generation above you, no matter what. I mean, I'm pushing 40 and, and I talk to people every day that are a lot older than me. And it's funny because when they first start to talk to me, they, they talk to me like a kid and then they hear me and they're like, well, this motherfucker is kind of, Articulate, <laughs> right? He's a a bit crude. He's he, he's a bit crude, but he's articulate in what in, you know the way he presents himself. But it never really goes away because me and my nephew used to talk about this all the time. As business owners, especially being in South Florida, we used to do a lot of wild stuff because we did a lot of our own work. <clears throat> and uh, when we would talk to people, they would ask us where the boss is because they would be used to talking to me on the phone. Right. And my face doesn't match my voice. <laughs> and not only that, at the point in time, you know, I was very limber and we were jumping around everywhere. So to them, I was a kid. You know, I'm talking, you know, 80 year old people. To them, I was a kid. You know, right. I had to explain to them, no, I'm, I'm 35 I'm years old. You know what I'm saying? I'm 30 years old. You know, this is my business and you're going to be writing your check to me and I'm going to be giving you a receipt. And, if, you know, it, it never changes. I mean, to this day, I always run into somebody who makes me feel like a kid. And like I said, with time, they realize, okay, this guy, you know, might be a little bit crazy, but he knows what the hell he's talking about. And he usually kicks on from there. Now, I know this kind of, this section right here is going to kind of tilt some feathers to some people. And, you know, today we kind of, short in this segment just because we have another episode this weekend coming out shortly so we got to put this together but what i wanted to get through was that you know fathers and mothers can equally co-parent man like we've gotten to the point of a generation that being frugal and being an asshole to each other and being petty it's should, non-productive it should be non-existent because you know we're holding our children back and, and we may not be holding them back year one through 18, but it could happen in year 36 to the day they fucking die. You know what I'm saying? Like we're infecting viruses in our children. I want people to understand that fathers need to be loved and cared for and be respected just as much as the mothers. It, Like you said, man, it takes two. It takes two. We know, I don't know nowadays what the fucking... You know what? Stuff, you right? can be you can be better about the way things happen, how they ended up, but that's never something that you should display in front of your children. You know, you have to work together no matter what. 
Yeah, I I get it, man. This this what really what really throws a kink in the whole system is when somebody takes your personal situation, something that's a family situation, and gives it the somebody control. It, they give the control to the courts, because once you get the courts involved, there's there's no there's no, no being civilized. No, no, because. If you, if you handle it in-house, it could always be one of those, okay, we're going to change this. We're going to moderate this because situations change. Now, when you take it in and you put it into the court's hands, they don't see things that way. They're more of a mechanical Autobot type you know, entity inside of a, a relationship that really should never be in that arena. We should never take a family situation and throw it into the arena of you know el libertad because the scales they do weigh out equally but they don't take on the human aspect of life and what's worse man is that our children don't get to hear our point of view until they're an adult i'm not gonna say lies because not all stories are lies what i'm saying is they don't get to hear the full truth because the other parent isn't A, going to talk bad about the other parent, or B, doesn't get the chance to put out their story. And then when it does happen, you feel like an asshole towards the child because you're like, man, I held all this shit from you all these years that I was made to be look like the bad guy, but now I gotta tell you, because if I don't, you're never gonna understand, you're gonna hate me for the rest of my fucking life. And why, why would I want that, man? You see, and, and that's, that's just, you know, one side of the coin, man, because there are some people like I myself, I'll be the bad guy and I'll be a bad guy for the rest of my life. Because even when, you know, my, my, my children are on the verge of becoming adults, but I will never tell them about the stuff. I will never tell them the negative. If I got to be a bad guy for the rest of my life and their mother has to be the angel on their shoulders, you know what? I'm fine with that. That's all right with me because I would rather them go through life and learn from me to just be stronger and be better than I am and be better than she is than them to hear the bitterness and the anger that, and the resentment that happened between me and their mother. I wouldn't want them to know about that because to them right now, the only thing that kept us separated our whole lives was the fact that I was in the military and that I've, I'm always working. I, I don't want them to know any, anything other than that. Right. And you know, some people might say it's selfish because you know, then they don't know the truth or whatever it is. But to me, I figure like this, as long as they excel, I'm not going to bring them down with my bullshit because my bullshit isn't theirs to, it's not their burden to load. I don't, I don't want them to think that, you know, okay. The only reason my daddy wasn't able to see me when I was five and teach me how to ride that bicycle was because, you know, mommy <laughs> drained him of every cent in his pocket. I want him to think, no, the reason my dad didn't, wasn't able to do that was because he was off being a superhero right i don't want to take that memory from them right and right. i wouldn't take that from and i would never i still love their mother i always will 
she was I mean she wasn't the first love of my life but you know she was somebody who was important to me at one point in time and out of that respect I would never do anything to shine a bad light in her way I would always try to bring out whatever's positive about her you know why because I'm mature you know back in the day when I was 26 year old Neanderthal <laughs> dragging knuckles across Europe right. yeah I was very 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 bitter I was a very bitter person I was an angry person. I mean, I expected to go to war and not come back. And I came back. Not only did I come back, I came back a couple buddies short. And that made me very, very angry. You know, man, like I said, I, I, I want to just tell my children that I didn't come out west. I didn't just leave because I didn't want to be a parent. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't just abandon motherfuckers like people think. I came out here because I want a better opportunity for them. I want to give them something that my dad would want to give me, but I'm not that I can't give it to them right now. You know what I'm saying? They got a home and they got a family, they got it. But what happens once they graduate? I'm not going to fucking just get, let them flip burgers, man. I'm not. No, gonna you want to work towards something, you know, put something in a CD, a college fund. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. You want to have something that you can, like a legacy you can pass off onto your children. And come out West. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. See that this is real. We get to live in a fucking mansion, man, a mansion. Where's that ever going to happen in Carroll or Akron or Fairgrove or any shithole back in Michigan? And that's Nowhere. the one thing you always got to put out because no matter what, you know, leave. That's, oh. that's, that's, that's always been my thing. You can now, always people come say, on. Oh, you're a runner or whatever, whatnot. I've always considered myself a vagabond because I always figured like this. If something started getting stale and my wheels started spinning, then I need to put that place inside my rearview mirror. And Michigan is one of those places that will get your wheels spinning. And like we were talking about earlier, our parents, our parents' parents, you know, they fell into this rat race. And you start doing life. And, you know, you get the wife and, you know, you have the kids and you get the dog. And you, you know what I mean? You you really, you just start doing life and you start thinking to yourself, man, there's more to this. There's more to this and I got to reach out and I got to find it and I got to grab it. And I'm going to reach out and I'm going to grab it. And I know I got to have to, you know, I'm going to have to stow some shit away at this point in time. But when I grab this thing and I wrap my head around it and I have it and I'm holding it above my head and I'm showing the world and I'm looking down at my son and my daughter and I'm saying, look, this is for you. Everything that I'm holding right now in my palms, it's for you. And I know I wasn't there. And I know you probably resent me for not being there. And you, you know, you have these stories of who I was, but you don't know who I am. But in the end of it, everything that I ever did, everything, all the sweat, the pain, the blood, the tears, everything that you have, everything that I have built, and hopefully it's a big fucking ball of something a big gold nugget and you can just look down and said this is yours now take it run with it and build it even bigger That's because you can do it That's the reason you can do it because i did it and you i've i've shown you what you can do if you just sacrifice that little bit of energy just that little bit of sweat you just do a little bit better and you make yourself better and you can do it that's and you, life, man. And just watch it. You know what I mean? Just That's watch life. them grow. It's a snowball. And you got to let that snowball go downhill and just 
hopefully that snowball is a generation of people that just get away from all this nonsense this nonsense that we think of like how many likes do i have how many fucking hearts are there how many snapchat how many friends can i have get rid of that shit put it behind you because it's negative look forward and build something huge something huger than you are for you your family everything you know because we didn't get here by ourselves and we won't get forward without somebody else this is real life man and this is and this is and what it comes down to is all this hard work is something that we're gonna do and we're gonna deal with this father's rights movement we're gonna deal with all this trouble that we get from you know the states and the government and whatever you know our ex-significant other puts us through we're gonna get through it no matter what because we have to because if you're an absentee parent because you're working your ass off you're gonna show your children one day I, I i made my way through this maze i climbed this this fucking mountain and i'm gonna show you how i did it and you're gonna do better than i did you know i climbed the alps you're gonna fucking climb everest you know amen, what i mean brother. Yeah. amen so with that said <laughs> we're next closing. week we're gonna go ahead we're gonna have a special guest on here one of our good friends you know smoky yeah smoke i like to call him rob the Bagman, aka smokester smoky mcsmoker <laughs> we're gonna get him on here we're gonna talk about the constitution we're gonna talk about the second amendment which is like <laughs> i said an issue me and l roach do not see eye to eye so it's no. gonna be pretty fun to listen to we hope you guys check it out but in the meantime this is Meat Hammer McSlapstick, otherwise known as that guy, and this is our Rocho. With that said, we're out. Till the next trip, man.